Can you boldly say you are not ashamed of the gospel? Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chappell challenges us as believers to stand up for what we believe. God is calling us to prayer. And you may not join in with this call, but I promise you there will come a day in your life when you will desperately need God. And I submit to you that you should begin to pray now rather than when the ambulance comes, rather than when the emergency comes. Because God is telling us men ought always to pray. In a society consumed by division, Christians everywhere are wondering how to respond to an increasingly hostile culture. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. Everywhere we turn, battle lines are being drawn. Seemingly overnight, culture has shifted to the point where right and wrong are no longer measured by universal truth, but by popular opinion. In our series, Not Ashamed, Dr. Chapel challenges us to become passionate, unwavering voices for Christ in spite of the opposition. And now, here's Dr. Paul Chapel with part one of a message called, Not Ashamed to Pray. We are taught throughout the scripture regarding the importance and the necessity of prayer. And it is often interesting to me that for as much as we are admonished to pray, that oftentimes this important part of the Christian life is truly an area where we continually struggle. It's an area where Christians reserve prayer for the emergency moments, but fail to really abide with the Lord in prayer on a regular talking relationship with God. Now, I believe most of us would say that with everything going on in the world today, with everything going on in our state and in our county and in our city and in our personal lives, I believe many of us would say, if there has ever been a time to learn how to pray, it is now. You look and you see what is happening in Ukraine and you realize that communism never really died, that people are being murdered that churches are going underground. In this very moment, we must pray for these people and for these situations. I'm simply saying this morning, if you haven't figured it out by now, it's time to learn how to pray. And in fact, the Bible says that in the light of his coming, men ought always to pray. And this parable and these two parables that we'll study this morning are certainly given to us with reference to an eschatological theme or the theme of the end times being in the mind of the Lord as he shared this with his disciples. In fact, the Bible asks a very poignant question in verse 8 when it says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? Will there be men and women believing and praying? Or will they be so caught up in their trivial pursuits of jobs and occupations and hobbies that they had time to take care of their surfboard and their basketball and whatever else they enjoy doing, but they just didn't really have time to pray? And this is the question of Jesus. Will I find faith when I come back to this earth? 
This is a moment in history where we must determine that we will increasingly seek God, that we might be found close to him when the trumpet sounds. The Bible is very clear. Men ought always to pray. Let's say it together. Men ought always to pray. The word men includes uh, each of us, men and women. But may I say that if the men of this church will not pray, we are in trouble. Many times I watch men who ride on the coattails of their wives' spirituality. And we need men today that will be men of prayer. Men ought always to pray. Now we will learn how that Israel and later the church saints are to pray in the light of the Lord's coming. And this morning I want you to learn with me three very important lessons about biblical prayer. If we're going to pray biblically, there are three truths I want you to glean from this text this morning. First, we're going to learn that we must pray constantly. Biblical prayer is constant prayer. And second, we're going to learn that biblical prayer is confident prayer, that God is looking for us to come to him with confidence that he will hear and answer our prayer. And thirdly, we're going to learn today that our prayer must be compliant in the sense that we must be compliant to God, humble before him as we pray. So let's notice, first of all, this morning that prayer, our prayer, must be constant. And certainly, uh, we will have, in a moment, the idea of a prayer time and going into a prayer closet. But God wants us to speak to him continuously. Prayer should be constant. So notice, if you would, the frequency of prayer that we read about in verse 1. Men ought always to pray. The word ought speaks of the necessity Uh, God says, don't you get it? You need me 24-7. You don't just need me when you eat. You don't just need me when you're starting a church service. Men ought. It is of great necessity that you pray. And uh, the word ought is correlated with prayer eight separate times in the New Testament. And the Bible says men ought always to pray, or at all times, God seeks uh, for us to come to him and invites us to come to him. One of the great prayer warriors of world history was George Mueller, a man who built orphanages and fed thousands of orphans simply by praying that God would provide the finances. George Mueller once said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, when I lie down, and when I rise. And the answers are always coming. Are your answers always coming? Are you seeing God work in your family? Are you seeing souls saved? Are you seeing God provide? If we're to see answers always coming, then we must be always praying, George Mueller says. May I say this morning, there's never a wrong time to pray. The scriptures tell us to pray without ceasing. And uh, so oftentimes, decisions are made without true prayer. I speak to people so often who say, well, I feel this, or I prayed about it. And yet, Jesus said, could you not tarry one hour? I would often like to ask such folks, have you ever prayed one solid hour in your life? 
And yet major decisions are made with less prayer. God says, I want you to pray without ceasing. When Jesus' first coming was recorded in the New Testament, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 37 of a woman named Anna, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. If you say this morning, well, it's come to the fact that all I can do now about this is pray about it, the question is, why didn't we start there? Why do we wait for the last resort to be prayer? Anna never stopped praying until Jesus came the first time. And I propose to you this morning that we must not stop praying until he comes the second time. Men ought always to pray. Charles Spurgeon, perhaps the most quoted of all the preachers in world history, other than those in the scripture, Spurgeon was once asked, what was the secret of the success of your ministry? I have stood in the pulpit of Charles Spurgeon in the auditorium there in London, there in the elephant and circle area of the bus stop. You get off the bus, you walk across the street to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, a large building, much larger than this, built in the 1800s, bombed during World War II, rebuilt. And the ministry was so blessed of God that every fifth Sunday they had to ask every member to stay home so that guests could come and hear the gospel. It was filled and filled and folks were saved by the thousands and they said, what was the secret of success? And Spurgeon said, my people pray for me. The church family prayed for him. When visitors would come to Spurgeon's church, he would take them to a basement prayer room where people were always on their prayers, uh, on their knees, interceding. They were in the basement before church, hundreds of them during church, praying for the preacher as he preached. And he would refer to this room as sometimes American tourists would come. He, they would see these hundreds of people in the basement praying and he would say, this is the power room of the church. No prayer, no power. My people pray for me. The frequency of prayer. May I say if your pastor ever needed prayer, it is now. Any Bible-believing pastor in this nation needs the prayer of his congregation. And we must pray for one another. We see the frequency of prayer. Men ought always to pray. But we also see the failure of prayer in verse 1. The Bible says men ought always to pray and not to faint. You see, Dr. John R. Rice said all of our failures are prayer failures. All of our failures are prayer failures. There is failure when we faint. The word faint speaks of being utterly spiritless, exhausted, to have a loss of courage. And God says we ought to pray and not to faint. And sometimes we grow faint in the Christian life. And sometimes we need rest or we need a revival spiritually so that we will uh, have a renewed energy to continue going on. Here we see a contrast that if you are praying, you will not faint, but if you faint, you will not pray. 
You will be in one state or the other. You will be either praying and not fainting, or you will be fainting and not praying, but you will not be able to do both at the same time. God is calling us to prayer this year. And you may not join in with this call, but I promise you there will come a day in your life when you will desperately need God. And I submit to you that you should begin to pray now rather than when the ambulance comes, rather than when the emergency comes. Because God is telling us men ought always to pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we read of our Lord Jesus, and he came unto his disciples and findeth them asleep, and he said unto them, Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Perhaps that's why it's helpful for many of us to have our prayer time in the morning before we have that first meal or those first nine Krispy Kreme donuts. Before the body begins to feel sluggish and sleepy, to come to the Lord in prayer. There is victory in faithful praying. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, Isaiah instructs us, but they that wait upon the Lord. This is what prayer is oftentimes. It is waiting. It is meditating on the Lord. It is speaking to the Lord. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Spurgeon said, if any of you should ask me for an epitome of the Christian religion, religion, I should say it in one word, prayer. Brother Kumla has seen it, no doubt, hundreds of times. I've seen it many times in my lifetime. I have seen Buddhist monks pray with much more fervency than the average Baptist. I have seen these Buddhist monks stand hour on end, banging their gourds and then coming to their knees and rising again and praying to a stone God that cannot hear them. Yet we serve the living and the true God this morning who wants to hear from us. I see the frequency of prayer. I read of the failure of prayer when men faint. But notice, if you would, the fervency of prayer. Jesus gives us here the first parable to show us how to pray. This parable is more about the widow's tireless persistence than the judge's refusal to help. Jesus is using in this parable a woman who would not give up. She was one that was known for her importunity. She was a woman that had to hear an answer. And we notice in this passage, beginning in verse 2, the uncaring judge, the Bible says, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. By the way, such judges apparently have always existed. And uh, lest we lament uh, the lost politicians and the godless politicians, uh, this has often been the case as it was here. The judge didn't care about God. Uh, He was irreverent doing what he wanted to do. And yet coming to this judge is a pleading woman. And the Bible says in verse number three, there was a widow in that city and she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. 
Here she's asking for vindication. She's asking for defense with respect to a trouble that had come into her life. She's not asking for personal vengeance, but for protection from the enemy. And her request was for the judge to fulfill the duties and responsibilities of his role. And and notice in verse 4, the Bible says, and he would not for a while. Uh, It seemed like her request was falling on deaf ears. And the phrase here, for a while, speaks of of, uh, chronos, uh, time uh, either long or short. It was something that was just passing by and nothing seemed to be happening for her. The Bible speaks of this in Luke 11, verse 8. It says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. We see in Luke 18 a woman that is asking. She is seeking God. And finally, Jesus tells us that the judge relents. And notice it tells us in verse 5, Yet, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Here we see that she would keep coming and she would keep coming until she received the answer to her request. And you see, persistent prayer is an enduring evidence of faith. Persistent prayer speaks to the fact that someone is not merely coming uh, just out of religiosity or coming because there's a a, a need uh, in the moment, uh, but they are willing to come until that need is met. Dale Moody said, some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. The way to trouble God is to not come at all. God certainly is sovereign, and there certainly is sometimes a wonderment in our minds as to why some prayer is not answered instantly or the way we want. But how many of you have grown to understand that there is something to be said for the very exercise of prayer, for the very times of coming to the Lord in prayer? You are growing and learning and yearning and longing and asking and learning how to come close to God. And when and how the prayer is answered is completely up to God. But I commend to you the fact that he always answers prayer. And he wants us to continually seek his face. Prayer should be constant. Constantly talking to the Lord. In the car, in the commuter bus, in the elevator, on the way to church, whatever it might be, prayer should be constant. But notice biblical prayer, secondly, should be confident. God does not want us to timidly come to him, hoping that maybe something might happen. Prayer should be confident. The Bible says in verse six, and the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus tells us in verse 6 to hear what the unjust said, that due to the woman's constant requesting, the judge finally granted her request. And sometimes we may grow weary in prayer. Maybe you're praying for your spouse. Maybe you're praying for your children. Maybe there's something that you're asking God to do in your life today. I want to remind you that you do not need to come hesitantly. 
Sometimes I see people witness with hesitancy, like, would you like this? You probably wouldn't, but this is a gospel. You probably don't want to read it. You probably don't want to come to church or anything, but would you? Friend, we must speak to people about Jesus with confidence, knowing that that person needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when you come to the Lord in prayer, you don't come to the Lord, Lord, I, you probably don't want to hear from me, and Lord, I know, you, I know I'm not all the person I'm supposed to be, and, and but, but, no, no. When we come, the Bible says we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, why is this? First, because of the heart of God. Maybe today, some of us need to be reminded of the heart of God. And in verse 7 gives us a glimpse into his heart. It says, and shall not God avenge his own elect? The word avenge speaks of caring for them or, or revenging for them. His elect speaking here of God's people, God's chosen people in Israel, God's uh, redeemed He is saying here that the heart of God is trustworthy. He wants the best for you. He wants to take care of you. The point of the verse is that God patiently listens to his elect as they pray in their continuing distress, waiting for the proper time to act on their behalf. Notice the text in your notes, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 4. The Bible says here, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. In other words, God is hearing, God is watching your patience, and it is a righteous thing with God to make these wrongs right and to settle these issues, and God has not forgotten his elect. He has not forgotten you today. He will avenge his people. He will Uh, care for his church. He will provide for his church. He has not forgotten the house churches in China. He has not forgotten the persecuted in Ukraine. He has not forgotten the Christians who are being hunted and speared in Afghanistan. And he has not forgotten the church in America, but the church in America has forgotten him. And we oftentimes go through life in autopilot forgetting to seek his face in prayer. Matthew 7, 11 says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is heaven in heaven give good things to them, what does it say? That, that what? Ask him. You have not because you what? Ask not. We can pray with confidence when we know the heart of God. Don't compare God to your absent father, your abusive father, some male figure that disappointed you. God, your heavenly father, is a faithful, loving God who knows the elect and loves to hear and answer prayer. But also, we can have confidence because of the work of God. Notice there in verse 7, the Bible says, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? God God hears our cry. He, He avenges his own because he hears from his own. You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church. 
and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chapel on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchapel.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today, where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.